Every health system leader has executive management challenges facing their organization. This show supports leaders in addressing those challenges with cutting-edge information, leading strategies, and sharing best practices. Listen in and gain keen insight as industry leaders share their stories. The Baldridge Foundation welcomes you to Leader Dialogue Radio. Hello, I'm Roger Spolman, and I'm really pleased to welcome you to Leader Dialogue, which is sponsored by the Baldridge Foundation. It's our purpose, our intent, to really bring to you important voices that are leading healthcare today and answering some of the most important and difficult questions. And today, we have a great lineup of guests, and we have Darren Versillo, Ben Sawyer, and Chuck Peck. You can see our bios, we're going on first name basis, but it's, it's our desire to really have a robust conversation about what's going on in the world today of healthcare and how to help you, healthcare leaders, deal with this and not just survive, but really to thrive in this, in this crazy environment. So as I said, we're not here to admire the problem, but we really do have to talk about what's going on and why there's a need for us to sort of circle the wagons and talk about what's next or, or how do we survive? How do we get our back? How do we get our volume and our, our revenue back? With that in mind, I, I want to turn it over to you, Darren, and you are a principal, one of the founders of About, and how is it that About, what is it that you're trying to, what problem are you fixing for our healthcare leaders? Thanks, Roger. Um, very excited to be here. And as I look at About, I think what we do and our mission really is encapsulated in our mission statement. Uh, our mission is to connect those in need uh, with those who heal and do it faster and more efficiently. And so the mission has met over the years uh, in what we brought to our partnerships and our client relationships across country. We are the national leader in providing technology-enabled services, so technology platforms, people, process, expertise in building transfer centers and command centers. We work with the largest for-profit and not-for-profit healthcare organizations across the country. And uh, we're fortunate that we participate in the uh, allocating of care and the finding of, uh, of care for patients in high acuity need. Uh, millions of patients per year are, um, are positively impacted by the uh, capabilities of about healthcare as those are implemented in these healthcare systems. And so um, really, as we look at what we call access and orchestration, which is uh, the ability to take patients who are oftentimes uh, in the care of a physician or other provider uh, in an emergency department or in a physician's office or in an urgent care that need to seek a higher level of care for their patient, being able to connect those providers with other providers who have the resources, the uh, capability and the capacity to match the needs of those patients and see them transferred uh, to where, from where they are to where they can get that care and then see the positive impact and the improvement in the lives of the patient, of the providers, of the families of the patients, and great outcomes uh, uh, with all. Wow, you know, what a time 
to be providing those services right now when virtually every patient in the hospital over the last 20 months has been an extremely complex patient. You know, we've, we've really sorted patients and said, you know, if you're, we just need, need to figure out how to take care of these complex patients. And oftentimes they're by themselves. And so they're, they don't really have the benefit of, of family by their side, by the bedside. Um, and they, the families need this information on transfers and how to, how to move through the system at a very, exactly. very difficult, perilous time. So thank you for, for doing that. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, Chuck Peck is a dear friend of mine, my, my colleague and friend, Dr. Chuck Peck, who's actually uh, my co-host. He's one of the co-hosts of the Leader Dialogue show sponsored by the Baldridge Foundation. And, and Chuck, you're working, you're working at Guidehouse, working with leaders in healthcare across the country. What's your thought about what's the greatest need for these folks? How do you help your clients? Yes, uh, thanks, Roger. Good to see you and Darren. You know, we, we, we outlined and uh, focused on a number of issues uh, during our first webinar several weeks ago. And, um, you know, HMA actually uh, has done a survey that sort of validated the challenges the key challenges that, that healthcare leaders are, are really facing today. And I think the number one challenge, which, you know, which clearly is number one, is uh, workforce. You know, not enough nurses, not enough aides, not enough techs, et cetera. And having been a, a CEO of a health system uh, in the past, even before COVID, um, I think we were starting to see the inklings of burnout and other things with, with a lot of these folks moving out of the workforce. But now with COVID, you know, it, it's really become an acute crisis. So I think that clearly all of our respondents made that their number one issue. The other thing that, that seemed to be high on the list was what we call systemness operating as one. So a lot of, a lot of independent hospitals have now become part of larger systems. And, you know, a lot of the data would suggest that uh, uh, the cost, which it was anticipated to be taken out through some of these consolidations, has not really happened as robustly as one would have expected. Uh, And a lot of that has to do with a lot of these organizations continuing to operate as holding companies, where each one of the hospitals within the system continues to do their quote unquote own thing and no true integration really having taken place um, amongst all these hospitals to become a coherent uh, system. And then the third uh, priority or crisis, so to speak, that people seem to be facing is that the, the expense line is far exceeding the revenue line. And there's a number of reasons for It's really not just about uh, only about COVID volume uh, taking over for uh, surgical volume and things like that. But um, when we look at what's going on today, it's, it's pretty clear that there's also been a very significant change in the workforce. There was a period of time where unemployment was very high. Um, the, the payer mix has changed and continues to change significantly where government payer sources continue to increase. And as we know, uh, tend to reimburse less than the commercial uh, workforce and the commercial workforce continues to, to decrease. And so, you know, we see that, that unless organizations are able to really get a handle on uh, th- their expense line, they're probably not going to see a continuing increase in their revenue. 
And, you know, best case scenario may be that in, in certain geographies, their revenue will be stable, uh, but they're still going to have to really look at becoming much more and, and effective. And I think, you know, technology is one of those tools uh, to help facilitate that. Wow, absolutely. Those are some key challenges and they affect everybody. And as you ran through that list, and we had an opportunity to talk about this at, uh, you know, at the, the previous panel discussion that we had, but I, I look at that list and I think under perfect or under ideal circumstances, and this is far from ideal, we have the confluence of these events taking place, at least in the life the work life of the people who are actually working today. These things are unprecedented. They've never taken place before. And there's no manual, right? <laughs> there's no manual on how to survive or how to what do next steps on this. Um, what occurs to me, and I'd really like your opinions on this, is the the culture. Usually the culture is what sustains and supports an organization through a change process. Um, I, through my healthcare career, I had the opportunity to do a number of mergers and acquisitions and divestitures and culture was always the foundation of whether or not this is gonna go well or not. So, so from that perspective, so culture, how does culture impact our readiness or ability to do this? Ben, we haven't heard from you and I know you've been a, uh, a really astute watcher of of healthcare culture in the past. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, thanks, Raj. Uh, I appreciate that. And uh, I'm also with Darren, an executive at About Healthcare. And your question is spot on. I think someone has, has said, and it's been repeated many times, culture eats strategy for lunch uh, every time. Right. So, and when when Chuck was talking about the disruption in the workforce, one of the things that we're hearing from chief chief nursing officers, in particular, is the disruption of culture. Right. When you have a retiring of a lot of your experienced people, and then you have a, a increased percentage of your workforce coming back in a contract in a contract labor standpoint, their loyalty to the organization culturally is obviously not there. Not not. Not for any reason other than the fact that they're just contractors, right? They're not necessarily a part of the organization anymore. So that's a disruptive change that we've never uh, seen before. There also are a lot of different dynamics that are going on between the health system and their their provider group, their clinically integrated network or their ACO, and there is uh, an increased utilization on the provider side and some decreased utilization on the health system side in terms of ORs and and EDs even and so forth. And that is that's been fluctuating obviously during during COVID. So culture is gotten hammered and one of the challenges with that is you're looking for ways to reduce variability, right? From the standpoint of processes, role clarifications, etc. because culture often will compensate for that. In other words, Everybody knows how we do things around here and compensate for it. But when yeah. you no longer have that that inherent, this is how we do things around here, uh, you end up having a lot more process variability, which is something that I I have studied a long time as a as a lean black belt. And so you have this opportunity both with technology as enablement, right, to help standardize process, but also to look again from a scrutiny standpoint at what's essential in in the care of the patient and how do you 
take waste out, take inefficiencies out, and ensure that whoever is caring for the patient is doing the best thing the right way uh, for, for the patient's outcome. You know, it, it, that's so true, Ben. And, and I'd like to add to this, you know, not to complicate it, but it is complicated, but add to this the trust issues, not only on the part of our employees, but on the part of patients and their families. Darren, are you seeing this in your practice? Are you seeing different behaviors that are coming from um, previously loyal and really engaged employees and then also patients who were loyal to a system or, or loyal to a practice? What are you seeing? Well, you know, you mentioned, and I, I think uh, Ben, you said this as well as Roger and Chuck, uh, these are unprecedented times and we're dealing with issues I think that we've never seen on the scale uh, or even in the the way that we have before, you know, with regard to with regard to those cultures and and even with respect to that loyalty, you know, it, it, to to frame it interestingly, I I, I practice in the Salt Lake City area, and um, most of my work has been in hospital based medicine, and so hospitalist and intensivist work, and of course we're seeing um, in, incredible uh, surges of demand on uh, reduced capacity. And when we talk about capacity, it really hits exactly uh, to the area that, that Chuck just mentioned. As I look at the, at the pie chart that um, represents the top challenges that all of those uh, top healthcare executives commented on and, and voted on as being their top challenges, a full 50% of that pie chart was wrapped up in those first two uh, issues that Chuck brought up, the workforce issues too few nurses, too few staff to meet the need. You know, you look at your hospital, if it's a 400 bed hospital and you look at your capacity, it has nothing to do with the fact that you have 400 beds. It only has to do with 100 of them. And now you've got the return of people coming uh, to the ER or being admitted and, and, and placing a demand on there when we don't have that capability or capacity in staffing. So one area that I wanted to point out as far as a cultural shift and a norm that has to change and that top executives are looking at and trying to change goes to um, what was being uh, said is overcoming the cultural silos that oftentimes we see within our organizations and creating better systemness, where you have um, inherent demand being placed on some of your larger hospitals within your organizations. They're being filled up. If there are patients to be transferred into the organization, they're always being directed towards those larger tertiary care hospitals and level one and two trauma centers within the organization, ignoring the inherent staffing capacity that you have at your other hospitals throughout the organization who could just as easily and capably take care of those patients. So one cultural area that, again, we see top leaders trying to overcome now is how do I leverage my entire system all at once and not just let cultural norms of where we send patients or uh, norms of where we consider to be our landing zones, but um, leverage my entire system. And that's where over these past, this past decade, decade plus, um, we've really driven in about um, our, uh, the value proposition that we bring to the table is to, um, by leveraging a central command center or transfer center, to then leverage the entire organization for capacity and capability because no I mean, you and roger you and chuck have both been leaders of organizations probably nothing rubs the uh the wrong way more than hearing that we had to say no to a patient 
and we had to divert somebody out or send them to our competition down the street. But uh, by working as a system and by leveraging the, the staffed capacity that we have across the organization, we can say yes to every treatment opportunity that comes to one of our ERs or that an outside organization calls us and says, hey, can you take care of this patient for me? Because we can place them somewhere through global visibility, through cultural norms, and through working together as an organization, especially in the light of acquiring additional uh, hospitals that may be in distress that we can annex into our organization and then use that capacity to fill the need. Thanks, Darren. I, you know, I thank you for helping us transition. I'd like to use the remaining time that we have to focus on solutions. And you've really teed that up very nicely. Uh, I've always said, like in, in my years as a CEO and in my consulting practice now, I encourage leaders, only do what only you can do. You know, stop wasting energy and burning calories solving problems that, that are not your problems to solve. And so I'd like us to shift and kind of move in the direction of identifying what is, the, what is our, our, uh, our recommendation? How can we encourage the leaders who are listening to this podcast today to focus on, narrow their focus on things that they can do with their teams now immediately? And, uh, and make life easier for them, for their patients. We, let's not forget the patients in this equation, how important that is, because we've told them to stay away. And now we're saying, now it's safe to come back. But how do we, what are we gonna tell? What are we gonna advise our healthcare leaders to do to solve these problems? What are some positive things they can do? Chuck, I'll, we'll go to you first. Sure, so um, you know, in preparation for this podcast, I actually made a list of, you know, maybe 15 or so, I'll call them recruitment and retention um, ideas, so to speak. Because um, I do think that focusing on the employee culture is what's going to, to a good patient experience and a good patient outcome. And by employee, I mean everybody, the physician, even if they're not employed specifically, but people who, who are at the bedside or even those assisting patients that aren't at the bedside directly, you know, what are some of the key things that we can do? And some of these things uh, seem intuitive. Some of them seem obvious. Uh, people listening in may think, well, you know, we do that. And I guess what, what, what my challenge to, to all of you would be is to really, really think hard about whether or not you are actually doing this on a, on a regular and consistent basis. So. Here are several. I'll start with my top three. Um, one is uh, organizational resilience. And what I mean by that is to really show a commitment to your clinicians and others' welfare. And, you know, provide meaningful emotional support so that they really know that you have your back. And that sort of leads to the next point, which is what I'll call focusing on a culture over messaging. So again, you know, we tend to want on burnout and COVID, but you know, there were a lot of things going on that we weren't doing a good job with before COVID. So things like addressing bullying in your workplace, you know, workforce violence, incivility, um, you know, really let let your employees know that you're not going to tolerate that either from them or from people walking into your facilities. And you, I think we've all read about 
uh, how the increase in bullying and violence has been pretty significant. So you're really, really sending a clear message is important. Tempers are really uh, short all across the board, aren't they? Patients, employees. Everybody. Business, everybody. Everybody. Yeah. You know, opening all possible lines of communication. And, you know, I used to, when I was a CEO, I really was, I really believe strongly in managing by walking around. And I think it's probably even more important for people to see you out there, um, you know, leading by example. Um, another thing that's interesting that we don't think about, and, and again, there is no silver bullet. So thinking about these things as sort of a combination of things that we all need to do as leaders. Um, you know, I, I read on LinkedIn this weekend, uh, a, a mid-level, looked like a mid-level aged employee who just switched jobs, uh, started a new job, wrote a, an actual comment on LinkedIn thanking his new employer and specifically his new manager for the incredible onboarding program that he just had gone through. Talked about how he'd never gone through a, a program where it was obvious that people cared about him, that was so organized, that was so productive. And again, you know, we don't think about these things all the time relative to retention and recruitment. People notice these things, it makes a difference. You know, also, you know, continuing to provide uh, you know, a myriad of training options, you know, facilitating additional training for specialized roles. Another specific example I can give is, um, you know, back in my CEO days again, uh, we decided to start an integrated practice unit for congestive heart failure uh, because we had so many of those people in the hospital at any given time. And you think about an integrated practice unit as a, a place where all patients with uh, congestive heart failure are co-located it, it, it's, it's led to significant experience improvements as well as lower cost. But one thing I didn't recognize, which was so important, was the nurses that raised their hand to be on that unit really, really, really found valuable the increased training we gave them to specialize in heart failure. And there were a number of nurses who really wanted to do that and really wanted that training. And that was, a, that was an additional benefit that you know, caused their loyalty to the organization to go up dramatically. And then the final example I'll mention, and we can go through some more of these at a, at a later date. One of the other things we did, and this is pre-COVID, we actually asked our employees what benefits were most important to them. We thought we knew that what they would be, health insurance, you know, all the typical things. And what we found, particularly amongst the nursing workforce was, they had a lot of childcare challenges. And five, six years ago, we actually built from, from the ground a child care center on the hospital campus. And to this day, it's still fully subscribed. It wasn't free. You know, we charged the going rate in the community. We brought in a, a really high quality vendor to run the organization. And that caused incredible loyalty and retention amongst our staff, particularly when the nurses and others could walk over to see how their children were doing on their off time, when we, you know, we did it 24-7. Um, things like that make a huge difference. It's not just giving people more money, because we know already that when we just throw money that the, the next hospital or health system down the street just gives a little bit more. And so we really have to win their hearts and mind. It, it's not just about the money. It's really about making them feel like a valuable member of the workforce and that we really care about them. Absolutely. And, you know, we're taking some of the worries away from our employees 
you know, if they're worried about children, they're unlikely or less likely to sign up for additional shifts or what have you, and, and you've solved a problem for them. That's fantastic. I've seen, I've seen that work very, very well. So I think that's more important now than it ever has been. Um, just kind of, we have a little bit of time left. And, and Ben, I'd like you to talk, you know, thank you, Chuck, for talking about the people side of things, the, the, the recruitment retention part of it. Ben, you've, I know as a black belt and as in previous roles that you've had in healthcare, you've talked about streamlining services. That does is that, a, that really provides needed communication for, for everyone in the organization, everyone involved in the care of the patient. And how do we eliminate white space and waiting and, and streamline things so that utilizing our resources from beginning to end in a most efficient manner? How have you done that? What should what should our leaders be looking at right now? Yeah, so uh, Roger, I I pulled up on the Baldridge Foundation Leader Dialogue website, which listeners can go to. So it's www.leaderdialogue, which is g ends at g u e dot com, and on the homepage there is a visual Baldridge organizational hierarchy of needs, and so if they're following along, they can they can look at this. But as I was listening to Chuck talk about it, and and you're asking me now the question about efficiencies and so forth, it's interesting how leadership sets this tone, right? And and category one, there are seven categories in the Baldridge. Category one in the organizational hierarchy of needs is effective leadership and persistent learning, right? So in times of change, leaders kick in, and they do exactly these kinds of things, you know, resilience, resiliency, uh, do the right things versus just messaging, opening up all lines of communication. The second thing is about strategy, right? The, the, the second category is in Baldridge is strategy. So how do you align people with purpose to achieve exceptional results? And we've, we've all talked about this on the, on the call today. Category three is being tuned in to what is going to actually be valuable to the customer. What's the customer value, right? Because then in category four, you're going to measure, analyze, and exchange knowledge. It's called MACM, Measurement uh, Analysis and Knowledge Management. It's category four. So that you can quantify what that is. And then you go right into category five, which is exactly what Chuck was talking about, which is workforce engagement, right? In other words, if we know, if we have good leadership, that is supporting the organization and a clear and well-defined strategy, and we know and are measuring what our customers actually want to build loyalty, then we have a basis to really support the workforce in all the ways that Chuck just talked about. And that ultimately leads to then operations, which is category six, or some, some would call it organizational effectiveness. And ultimately, that drives results. So category seven are the broad-based results that the Baldridge uh, uh, program talks about. So that context is timeless, right? In other words, whether you're in COVID, you know, out, any other thing that comes up, those seven, those particularly six categories that drive the results, which are, are encapsulated in the seven, seventh category, are the things that, that uh, are foundational, that you can never go wrong on. They, they will, uh, 
adjust for you. And that includes in your organizational effectiveness, the process waste and so forth, Roger, that you were specifically asking about, right? In other words, uh, what can we do differently to drive customer value? Yeah, I, I think that's a really great reminder to all of us that rather than wringing our hands and, and uh, becoming victims or talking about being victims of all the stuff that's outside our control, for me, it's always been, okay, what's inside? What's 100% in my control? And, and maybe it's only 10% or less of my job. But if, if I can focus on what's in my control, then the 90% seems less troublesome. And, and I think that that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring people together and, and focus on what they can actually do to um, circle the wagons in your leadership team, in your organization, focus on what is it that's within our power to do. What, what is it that only we can do? Let's only do what only we can do and do it really, really well and uh, and the rest of the problems seem to become less troublesome and less bothersome. So, so, so Roger, in the last, it looks like we only have about a minute left or less. What is next? I, I know there's another podcast uh, coming up on the 16th. Yeah. I think we're doing this now on the first and third Tuesday of every month, which is super exciting for Darren and I. Uh, what is coming up on November 16th? What can what can the audience be thinking about? Okay, well, just um, thank you. And and as we as we transition out, we've only scratched the surface on so many things. Chuck has, I know, a lot more to talk about with recruitment and retention and other things. But in our next segment, our next podcast, we want to talk about cost benefit considerations and solutions in terms of, of addressing this. And so it's not just a feeling, it's not just a hunch. We can attach a dollar figure to some of these efforts that we're trying to encourage our listeners to consider and actually get involved in. So that's where we're headed. Uh, we always welcome feedback from listeners. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can get a hold of us through the Baldridge Foundation and, and let us know what topics are important to you. So that's where we're headed. And uh, we hope to see you next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being with us today. 